Thanks for tuning in to listen to this week's Torah study class. Stay tuned after the Torah study for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the study. Shalom, everybody. We're back. This is Torah Tamashiach, and we are doing our survey of the scriptures, and we are starting in Vayikra, Leviticus chapter 4. And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, Speak unto Bnei Israel, saying, If anyone shall sin through error in any of the things which Yahweh has commanded not to be done, and shall do any one of them, if the anointed Kohen shall sin so as to bring guilt on the people, then let him offer for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto Yahweh for a chattah. I'm going to stop right there. So where at this point in history, when, when God said this to Israel through Moshe, what did they refer to in regard to any of the same things which Yahweh has commanded. Can you rephrase the question? I'm not understanding what you're asking. At in this point in history, because you got I'm trying to get you to remember where we are in the history of Israel when this book is being written. All right. Where would they refer to in order to reference the things which God had commanded them? To the Ten Commandments, the, the Ten Commandments. The not ten just, the, not just the ten. Did they have the entire law? That's what I'm asking. At this point in history, what did they have? We're in chapter four of Ayikran. It's just being written. So they only had to think. Not about a it. hard question, guys. It's a it's a top level easy question off the shelf. <laughs> so we saw the Ten Commandments only, Daniel, when with Exodus that we get the Ten Commandments. Yeah, we I, got the Ten Commandments in Exodus, but we didn't just get the Ten Commandments, did we? No. Whatever else Moshe said unto them, I don't know what else to say. Well, Elizabeth was right. We have the book of Exodus. I think even Dorcas might have mentioned that. We have the book of Exodus. That's exactly what I was looking for. They would look in the book of Exodus. Yeah, because there was that incident like with the sticks. Well, there was a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. You guys have already forgotten the book of Exodus. First, they get the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Then in chapter 21, 22, 23, all the way, they get all of these instructions about righteousness in there. All right. Mm -hmm. So at mm -hmm. this point, you know, if, if Moshe is taking dictation from God and throwing a piece of paper down the mountain so they can read the next sheet, all they got is Exodus. OK, I'm just making a point. They're referring back to Exodus at this point. Deuteronomy hasn't been written yet. OK, Deuteronomy is not going to be written for another 40 years. Right. They had to wander for 40 years. Right. Mm -hmm. gotcha. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I missed the whole this the beginning of Exodus that I love to and also uh, Genesis. So I am trying to look the tapes. Yeah. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah, it's all there. Oh, and I guess I'm struggling with the idea of I understand what you were saying, like these things were done like 
at the same time the the, the chart you showed us but whenever I start reading, sometimes that goes out the window and, I, and I'm thinking linearly again. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get you to do is not think linearly. But at the same time, I want you to understand the chronology of these things that Leviticus and Exodus go together. And then Deuteronomy was written 40 years later as a retelling of both of those books, sort of a summary of Exodus and Leviticus, because Genesis really has no laws in it per se. There are a few things that God commanded very directly to Abraham, and some of those did become tradition. Some of them are extrapolated into ridiculous tradition. But the bulk of the commandments at this point are in the book of Exodus. And then we're getting some in Leviticus. And then 40 years later, we're going to get the rest of them in Deuteronomy. Right? Okay. Joe, what you got? So could could we say it this way? Could we presume that while Moshe was up on the mountain for those 40 days, 40 nights, Vayikra is what he wrote. I think he wrote all five books. Moshe wasn't there when Adam was created. God had to tell him that. True, 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 true. He wasn't there for, I think God gave him the whole thing, Genesis all the way through, you know? Got you. So, in, in other words, in, in other words, this was written during that time, the whole book, but including this book. The only thing I'm trying to point out is that there's a there is a chronological separation in time between Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. All right, and the reason I'm saying that is because they have to refer back to things that they have done wrong in order to know when to offer these offerings. They have to know the book of Shemot at this point. And the book of Shemot would be sufficient to make them know when to bring what offering. Because we've looked at last week, we looked at three or four different types of offerings. We're going to look at now we're looking at the Chatat, which is very particular to us. All right. And we're going to look at a couple more until we get up to like chapter seven of Leviticus. So we're being we're being told what offerings are. And the book of Exodus is telling them when to bring those particular offerings. All right. Leviticus is going to help with that as well, but they don't, they don't know what their sin is unless they look back in Exodus. Gotcha. All right. He shall bring the bullock unto the door of the Ohel Moed before Yahweh. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the bullet. There's that uh, smicha again. Kill it before Yahweh and the anointed Cohen, the priest, shall take of the blood of the bullock and bring it into the Ohelmoid. And the Cohen shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of it seven times before Yahweh in front of the parochet. What is the parochet? The veil. The, the curtain. veil. The huge curtain. And the Kohen shall put of the blood upon the horns of the Mizbeach Ketoret. That's the altar of incense. Mizbeach Ketoret. Before Yahweh, which is in the oil moed. And all the remaining blood shall be poured out at the base of the Mizbeach Haolah, which is outside. The altar of burnt offerings, which is at the door of the tent. And all of the fat of the bullock of the Chatat shall be, shall take, he shall take off from it. The fat that covers the inwards, on the inwards, the two kidneys, the fat's upon them, 
by the loins, the lobe of the liver, taken away by the kidneys. It's taken off from the ox of the shalom offering. So he's referring back to another offering saying, do it the same way. And you notice this is still a lot of repetitious language, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm, I'm blowing through it, not because I don't want you to know it, but because we've already covered it three or four times, right? He'll make them smoke upon Mizbeach Haulah, the burnt offering altar. The rest of it will be taken outside. It's dung. Even the whole bullock shall carry forth outside the camp, without the camp, unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out. Burn it on wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, shall it be burnt. So there was one particular spot where they dropped the ashes every morning, and that's where the same place where this had to go. So it was almost like a sacred dump ground. <laughs> All right. So this is the hatat. What do we know about that word and Yeshua? For your sakes, Yeshua became the hatat, the sin offering. Anybody know where that is? I just know what it says. <laughs> <laughs> I'm horrible about knowing where it says it. We learn that stuff. I uh, know. And I know I butchered the verse as it is. Well, I almost, said it. I almost said it. I almost said it. Uh. Am I in the right spot? It's in a prayer that we pray every Shabbat, but I forget the exact scriptural reference. All right. Yeah, so part of that prayer is right here, but I think the other part is in 1 Corinthians. So I'm drawing a blank on it, too. Let me see. I will cheat and look at the Sador. Good man. I think the part we're talking about is in 1 Corinthians. Anybody find it? I'm looking, I'm looking, looking. It would be Second Corinthians. Second five twenty-one. For he who did not know sin, for your sakes, he became a hot hot. Yes, there it is. That we may through him be made the tzedakah, the righteousness of Elohim. The reason I bring this up is because this is a mistranslated and misquoted verse, and misunderstood verse, ad nauseum. Most translations say, for he who did not know sin became sin for us. He did not become sin. Hallelujah. Exactly. He became a sin offering. All of our sins were heaped upon him when he became our offering. So it's not egregiously wrong, although I kind of think it is. He didn't become sin. He became a chatat. It's more important to understand that he is a sin sacrifice for us in our place, because then we understand that we're still worshiping in a sacrificial system, right? Yeah. And I personally think that's important for the followers of Messiah is that we understand that 
we still have, we're, it's still necessary for us to walk through protocol to be legally right and clean before God. Don't y'all agree? Yes. 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 God has protocol. And that protocol is, is that you have to have an offering to bring before him because you're a sinner. Still, there are too many people in the religious world that teach that you are without sin. Now you're done. Go, go live your life and don't worry about sin because you don't have any sin anymore. That's ridiculous. Yeshua tells us that anybody thinks they have, that says they have no sin, they are a liar and the truth is not in them. Okay. So it's important to understand that we do have a sacrificial system. And that's why we're looking back at these sacrifices because every offering and sacrifice that is specified in the Torah is met for us in Yeshua. All right. Go ahead, Joe. Well, I thought I was going to say something, but what you just said may nullify that. But in understanding what this word chatat means and talking with other people, I've explained it that Yeshua was not every single sacrifice. He was our sin offering, our sin sacrifice. Um, there's still other offerings to be made, but he he was our sin offering. Well, and, no, he's every offering. Okay. He's, he's every yeah. sacrifice. In Isaiah 53, it says he's and a sham offering too, a guilt offering. Yeah. Yeah, he's every offering. It's just that the sin offering was most important because he came to free us, save us from our sins. Got you. Okay. But especially based on the fact that we don't have a temple, yet we're still expected to worship God. We need offerings. Okay. And we need sacrifices. Offerings and sacrifices technically are do two different things. So, um, um, this is a sin offering, and that one was most critical. But if you look in the book of Hebrews, we're told in there that they would bring the blood of bulls and goats. Well, what did we specify here was a chatat? A blood of bulls. Burnt offering? A, a sin offering. Blood. For a, a young oh. bullock. A young bullock for a katat. But Yeshua replaces bulls and goats. You see what I'm driving at, Joe? Yeah, so, oh. but, but, but how do, oh, okay. I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Yeah, I get it now. So I, I see my error in the past, yes. But when we look at Acts, when Paul does the, uh, um, what you call it, the, the sacrifices for the, Natrit or Natrat or the, the Nazarene vow. Nazarene. Nazarene. So, so how, how do we how, how do we approach that? Well, Yeshua okay. is Yeshua, Yeshua is still the one affecting what that offering was for, but because the temple was still standing, it was still an obligatory offering. In other words. Shaul didn't put his trust in the bull that he offered. He did it out of obedience, trusting in Yeshua. Whereas normal, regular Jewish people, non-Messianic Jewish people would have put their trust in the bull. It's the wrong place. Are you with me? Yeah, I, I get that. It's like... Uh... 
No, I, I get that. I don't know how to say, but so should we? And I'm I'm just trying to correct any error I have. So if if we had a temple today, we would still be doing some of these offerings and sacrifices. Yeah. Right. But so, you cannot, but you better not put your trust in it. Right, right, for sure. So how that's the point because Yeshua became all of them. But because we are still commanded to do those things, if there were a temple here, then we would do them, yes. Daniel, can I say something? Sure. Even if, even after Jesus, we would do them? Absolutely. Paul did, but that's what that's what uh that's what Joe is pointing out. If you go to Acts chapter about 21, I think it is. So, so my question is, um, I mean, I was raised as a Catholic, and when you go to, I went to the mass, they will always do the Eucharist, and the Eucharist was the sacrifice of Yeshua. So, I don't... Well, Elizabeth, so, that's entirely, I was, hang on. They, it's not a sacrifice. That is a, a symbol. They they yeah, never. But, but that's that's the meaning. That's the meaning. Of hang that. on, hang on, hang on. Too many. Let, let's let's get this all straightened out. So the Catholics do believe that the Eucharist is a sacrifice. They believe yes. that that is actually Yeshua's body. Yes. It is literal. It is a sacrifice. That's what mass is. Mass is an execution of the sacrifice. Yeah. That's what they believe. So we're not saying that because yes, I want to, to be clear about that. Right. We're, you, not, we're not saying that. What we're saying is that the need for all of these different sacrifices has already been met because Yeshua hung on the tree. So any need of shedding of blood to come before God, which is what those sacrifices and offerings were. Yeah. It's met in Yeshua. We don't have to, and we don't, we certainly don't have to execute Yeshua every week like the Catholic Church does. And that is what they believe. So we don't have to do that. He's not dying and being executed and offered over and over and over again. But he said his words are faith. He, it was the big, if you look in John chapter six, that was the big place where he said, if you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple. And, and that was that caused a lot of people to leave him. And that's the verse that the Catholic Church takes out of context to establish the Eucharist is that you have to eat actual flesh and blood. You're basically a cannibal every Sunday when you go to church. Because they say, if you don't believe that that wafer and that uh, wine is being transformed, they call it transubstantiation, I believe. Mm -hmm. yes, it right. actually becomes the flesh and the blood of Jesus. If you don't believe that, you are cursed and going to hell. So that is not what we're saying here. What we're saying here is that when Yeshua shed his blood on the tree, everything was final. There's no longer a need for blood to be shed in order for us to approach God. But if we were going to the temple, because he put those ceremonies in place, in the temple, we would still have to do it. And they did it. All right. And I'm trying to find that right quick. 
I'm looking around too. The way I see it, it's like two arrows. All the sacrifices before pointed to that pivotal moment in history, and then anything after points back to it. Everything points to the execution um, on the tree. That's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, the, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were looking forward to the offering of Messiah. That's why the Akedah of Isaac is so important, because Abraham trusted that God would raise him from the dead. It's a picture. All right. He was looking forward to Messiah. He looked forward to a city whose builder and maker was Yah. So um, and we look back at the tree. That's um, that's exactly what I was trying to say, is that, you know, Yeshua's body is not offered up over and over and over again. We participate in it by trust in his words. And I'm going to get to that, too. We got to slow down a little bit because I want to make sure we understand that. But first, did Dorcas come back in? Is she here? Yes, she... I'm, I'm here. All right. So we need to find the scripture. And I don't know why I can't think of where it was. Where um, Shaul Paul kept a sacrifice. It's probably he... around 2021 ish in X. I looked briefly in 21, but I'm, I don't want to hunt for it. I was hoping someone would go, go, go gadget it for me, but I'll do it. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm getting closer. Yes. Yeah, it, it is Acts 21. I was right. Joe was right. I just didn't read down far enough. Um, All right, starting in verse 15 of Acts chapter 21. After those days, we made our preparations and went up to Jerusalem, and there came to us some of the Talmudim from Caesarea, that's Caesarea, bringing with them a brother who, uh, who was among the first Talmudim named Manasson, a captive of Cyprus, who had been received, who had before received us at his house. When we arrived, they welcomed us gladly. The next day, we all the elders were present. We went in with Pablos and Yaakov, to Yaakov, when we had saluted them, Pavlos, that's Paul, by the way, told them in successive order everything that Elohim had done among the Goyim by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified Elohim and said, Pavlos, our brother, see how many thousands there are in Yudah, that's Judah, that was Israel back in the day, it was called Yudah, Judah, who are believers. So there are many thousands in Judah who are believers. So there were many thousands of Jewish believers all over Israel, and they are all zealous for the Torah. And But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Goyim to forsake the Torah of Moshe, stating that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to follow after the customs of the Torah. All right, so they were being told that Paul was going around telling people not to keep the Torah. People still think that lie today. The whole Christian community believes the lie that, that was already going on about Paul before he even died, that he was telling people to leave the Torah behind. All right. So in order to solve the problem, this is Yaakov. This is 
James, Yeshua's natural brother, another son of Mary. Now, therefore, they have heard that you have come here. Do what we tell you. We have four men who have vowed to purify themselves. This is a Nazarite vow. It is a Torah commandment. Okay? So take them and go purify yourself with them. So join them in their Nazarite vow. And pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Then. Everyone will know. And so that we'll, we'll go look at the Nazarite vow. But what you have to know is the shaving of their heads is the way to close out. It's the Torah command on how to close out that vow. And it comes with an offering. They have to make an offering in the temple. Then everyone will know that what has been said against you is a lie. It was a lie that Paul told people to leave the Torah. All right. And that you yourself, Paul, uphold the Torah and obey it. So Paul was still a Torah keeper. He believes in Yeshua at this point because he's gone all over Galatia preaching. All over uh, Western Asia. Up into what we know as Turkey. Uh, Syria. Probably part of Iraq. You know, that whole area. Uh, maybe, maybe even by this time, Northern Africa, it's been a long time since I've looked at it, but, uh, Paul has been around preaching the gospel for a long time. And so much so that people are misinterpreting his words already and saying that he wasn't a Torah keeper anymore. And he's saying, in fact, you are, they believed it. Yaakov and all the people, all the leaders in Jerusalem believed him that he was a Torah keeper. So he, they said, show us, show them, show these guys that you don't break the Torah. And he said, okay, so he did. And he, they told him about Paul's letter. So Paul wasn't at the council. They told him about their letter to the, to the Goyim. That they should abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from fornication, and from what is strangled, and from blood. So Paul does what they said. That's what this verse says right here. He does what they said. He purified them. He entered into the sanctuary, the temple, informing them how to complete the day. So Paul, as a Pharisaical rabbi, told them how to complete the days of purification. And there it is. Until the gift of every one of them was offered. The gift is what? The offering the or sacrifice. The sacrifice. So Yeshua is bringing four believers in Yeshua into the temple to finish the vow. So the sacrifice was a ceremony. It was, at this point, it's utterly ceremonial. These guys trusted in the blood of Yeshua. They weren't hoping to win favor with God. They were just fulfilling his command, just like Yeshua. Yeshua didn't need to be baptized. Right? But what did he say? So that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Yeah. So we confirm righteousness in our lives. That's what they were doing here. Any command that we can keep, that's the, that's the reason we do it. We don't do it to try to please God or to assuage our guilt. We assuage our guilt in the blood of Yeshua alone. All right. That's good. So in case you wanted to go here, I found my notes about this as you were reading it and number six one through 21 is this vow 
All right, Bobby, let's go look at Bobby it. Barr. Bobby Barr 6, 1 through 21. Don't want to go too far off, but no, we won't go too far into it. The main thing I want to do is show where the show that it says to to uh, make an offering to finish the vow. Chapter six, one through twenty one. He shall so. He is a Nazir, Nazarite vow. That's what we're talking about. This is the instruction of the Nazir. When his days are fulfilled, this is what Paul was explaining to those four guys. He'll bring it to the door of the tent of meeting. In their case, they would have taken it to the door of the sanctuary. Present his offering, one he lamb. So those four guys would have brought a he lamb without blemish for a burnt offering, a ewe lamb of the first year for a katat, and a ram without blemish for the shelamim, and a basket of matzah mingled with oil, unleavened wafers spread with oil, and a drink offering. And the Kohen would have brought them all before Yahweh and shall offer his hatat and his olah, and he shall offer the ram for a shelamim offering. All right. Shave his head at the door of the tent, and shall make the hair of his head consecrated. This is the, uh, the completion of it, I think. Do you see all of this, though? Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff to do. A lot of stuff to do. And that's what Paul was teaching those guys, and that's what he took them into the temple to do, was to finish their vow. So, yes, believers in Yeshua would do this if the temple was there, but being cautioned not to put their hope in it to assuage their guilt and to lift their sin, because that's done through Yeshua alone. And that's why we that's why God allowed the temple to be destroyed is because our temple in reality is in heaven. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. We'll get to that when we study Hebrews. But um, so all of these Levitical laws that we're studying over in Vayikra, they are indeed met in Yeshua. So this is a lot. It's a lot of stuff. But what it ought to show you is how big Yeshua's ministry was toward us and all the things that it covers because people only think of the surface of their sins when they come to it. Right? Say, say again what you mean by that. Like on the surface of their sins, they think I came I to Yeshua when this, I was but... I came to Yeshua when I was 11 years old and I didn't understand my sin and depth of it. I understood enough to come to him and ask him for the forgiveness of all my sins, but I didn't understand the depth of my sins. And even as an adult, I didn't understand the depth of them. But now that I've studied these sacrifices, now I know, oh my gosh. Okay. So now that makes sense what you're asking, because there's times when people say, oh, you keep the Torah, you don't understand grace. No, yeah. brother. I understand grace far more than you ever will. Exactly. Knowing my life, first of all, my life and what I've done, the things that go into my head sometimes, and understanding what the Torah says about those things, if anybody understands grace, it would be me. The more, <laughs> you know? yeah, the more that I study the Torah, the more the first prayer that I utter in the morning, 
The compassions of Yahweh are never consumed. They never fail. They are renewed every morning. I understand that. I can't, I can't describe what goes through my heart every morning when I realize that and recognize that because I know what I did the day before and it may not have been, you know, I didn't go kill anybody. I didn't think it, I don't think evil of people. I don't go around gossiping. I don't do all that junk, you know, but I still got things that I got to deal with. And I, and he has to, he, he lovingly does it every morning, every morning. But what, but what I'm pointing out is, Things that I did, you know, on Yom Kippur, we pray about our unknown sins, right? That's the point that I'm trying to make is we have the depth of the Torah is so deep. There are things we've done. We don't even understand it. It broke God's heart and drove us. Like David said, like uh, I may may know that we have sins enough that we don't even know. And if we knew, we would be dead. and. God has to let it out, you know, deal with it a bit at a time because otherwise we'll be dead. That's right. And so what we're looking at here is just one of the offerings. Yeah, we're looking at a, a chatat, which is one of the offerings. And there are several iterations of a chatat in the book of Vayitra Leviticus. Um, but we already looked at a Shalamim offering. We already looked at what I forget which three exactly that we looked at already. And we're going to look at about approximately three more. So um, it's just showing you the depth of what Yeshua did in his body, because every, everything that they had to bring an offering for Yeshua suffered for on our behalf. And I'm just one person, but he's got millions of followers, Joe. So just to clarify what started this entire rabbit trail was where you said the katat, the sin offering was the most important one was because a simple, I'm trying to make sure I I understand it or I can articulate this was a simple fact that Yeshua was every offering, but more importantly, he was our sin offering. Whereas we in this circle here on this call right now know that, his sacrifice takes away our sin and our shame and our guilt. Whereas in those days, they can be covered, but their guilt is still there. That is the difference. And that's the, the distinction you're trying to make in this whole conversation, correct? Yes. Yes. I mean, we read it recently, I think even maybe last week. We, we went over to the book of Hebrews and read it. That it did that, that the blood of bulls and goats does not have the power to assuage guilt, to relieve the supplicant of his guilt. Right. All right. So they would they would go and make the offering and know that they had appeased God, but they still carried their guilt. And they don't even understand that. The only person who can understand what it means to have your sins lifted is the person who has had them lifted. Right? Yeah. I still remember when he lifted my sin off me. And I remember multiple iterations of that because I'm a foolish person who returned to sin. (laughs) Let me me ask you something, Daniel. I'm sorry to interrupt you. So when, according to everything that you just said, when Jesus said to the disciples, he who has been forgiven much, loveth much 
he was saying a lot of things at once because, I mean, we all are sinners. Mm -hmm. They were all sinners, but not all of them were aware. That's what he was saying, probably. Absolutely. Uh, everything that has been forgiven. Yeah, absolutely. And, and further, it, it's, it's plain as the nose on everyone's face that some people sin more than others. And so, yes, um, a person who lived a life just rife with sin, who then comes to Messiah, appreciates the blood that Yeshua shed perhaps more because they know how much they needed to be forgiven. And the point that we are making that you just made also is that those who think that they have dealt with all their sins, they don't realize the background sins that they have. Mm -hmm. They don't understand that when you talk in a snide way about another person or think in a snide way about another person, look down on another person as if you are better than them in any way. There's a, there's a plethora of sins that we commit that we're not aware of. And in order for, in order for Yeshua to forgive us for the ones that we are aware of, he also had to forgive us of those. And I think it's the duty of the believer to come to appreciate that. And that's kind of what I'm trying to point out. Okay. Yes, you know what? Uh, uh, I'm sorry again, but I think I need to say that for uh, to thank you because basically I've been to a lot of uh, biblical studies and it is not the same because the words that we're learning in Hebrew, I think help us to go deeper in the meaning because when you think in, in English or in Spanish, you understand a word. But it's not when you start like looking into it, uh, looking it through the Hebrew language that, that you could go deeper. And that's what we're doing here because, yeah, yeah that's it. Thank you very much. Yeah. <clears throat> if the whole assembly of Israel shall err, which means to make a mistake. So the first thing I want to point out about that is the whole crowd can <laughs> sin together. <laughs> what? Oh! <laughs> What's going on? I think you're choking me around the neck. I'm so choking. All right, whoever, I can't find who that is. Is anybody aware of who that is? No. Okay, um, if the whole assembly of, of Israel shall err, whole congregations, whole nations can make mistakes, can commit sin together. There's another place where God says, do not follow a multitude into error, into sin. All right. So if it happens and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, so they did it and they didn't even know they did it. I believe that those of us who uh, are the core of Mikdash Me'at went through that. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Right? 
and do any of the things which Yahweh has commanded not to be done and are guilty. When the sin wherein they have sinned is known, then the assembly shall offer a young bullock for a chatat. So this again is a chatat. It's basically the same process as an individual. There's just a, a couple of little differences, but it's the same process and, it's, and it, it is another chatat. It's just for all of the people. All right. And if you read it, it's almost... It's almost word for word, similar process. The difference is it's for the whole congregation. All right. The only thing what we can take from that is if we as a group make a, an error, then we as a group have to come before God together. Do you agree? I agree. All right, so for Mikdash Mayat going forward, we need to keep that in mind. So far, I don't think we're just, I, I, I don't know of anything, but it is entirely possible that at some point in our future, when it is known, right? When the sin is known, by everyone, that no dies plural. All right. Well, Danny, you you pray at the end of every Torah session, something to the effect of correct our errors. Yep. And so, if we, you know, we're we're doing the best we can. If we don't know, we're asking his guidance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and if we ever are wrong, and I've been wrong in the past, and perhaps what I should have done. And I, when I say that, what I mean about it is that, that I had come down on the wrong side of doctrine in my past quite some time ago. And but I and we all participated in it. But I alone. Said I sinned. Oh, I got you. Are you with me? Yeah, I got you. And that was wrong. And this is not the church of Daniel. Exactly. So yeah. And so what it did is it put a we they mentality and it what it did is it said, oh, he's so imperfect. When they don't realize we're all in this together. I never said I was perfect. Right. You never did. And any one of them could have researched it and done it and and prayed and, and sought the truth and revealed it to me. And, and I've shown because I found it. Are, are you getting what I'm driving at? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So if the whole congregation sins, we did it together, not just Daniel or not just whoever else. Well, our, we love us. We love us and Daniel, <laughs> but our, but our, uh, our faith in our salvation is not in Daniel. That's right. That's right. And, and, uh, you know, and I, I hate to use my name, put it in the first person, but it shouldn't be any one person who bears the brunt of the guilt for the whole congregation when the whole congregation was part of it. Right. Right. We should all know. If we look at our, we look at the example of how the the Shabbat service goes, it's, yeah, there's one leader who kind of oversees it, but other people come up and they read and they do things. So it's a, it's a group effort. Absolutely. 
All right. When a Daniel, roof is, yes. Uh, something come to my mind is like, a, you know, that we pray for, for the abortion, to avoid the abortion. So when we pray and uh, the whole, um, and it continue happening. So um, in that, in that, in that issue, the whole country is guilty of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. The whole country is guilty of that. Here's the rub, though. God doesn't punish the righteous with the wicked. God knows when, when righteous people have said things, because I've not been silent on abortion. Joe's not been silent on abortion. Um, many people around the country have not been silent on abortion. I have spoken it publicly. I have spoken it in, in, in the workplace many times over, uh, that abortion is murder. I've clearly defined it as murder of a human life and as reprehensible before God. And so those of us who have done that, we're not guilty anymore because we've confessed it. We've said it and we've pointed it out and we've, we've offered repentance to the nation. The nation, however, will be held guilty, but God won't punish us with them. Um, we may have to go through some of the suffering with them, but what I'm talking about is on the other side of eternity, we're not going to be punished for that. If they don't repent of it, that's part of their hell. That's part of their eternity. They will suffer forever knowing they murdered six, seven million babies all over the world. Uh, okay, you, but you uh, you make the point clear that we need to uh, we need to complain. We have to speak about it, and I have. Yeah. I've written. I've written, Congressman. I've spoken publicly about it. I've put Facebook posts up about it. I've tried to turn hearts. And, and make America, I'm, I'm nobody though. I don't have a voice, you know, <laughs> I'm screaming in the, in the, in the wind that, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, just we're background noise to these people because there's so many people who think it's a Supreme court right in order to kill your babies. But, um, you know, we, we have spoken about, there are people who have spoken about it and who find it and hold it reprehensible and, and try to, express that and so i don't we're not guilty of that god's not holding us to that no joe just to add to that um you know dan has a platform where he can reach people he's got multiple platforms to reach people i'm just loud <laughs> right i'm just loud i just I, I piss everybody off and tell me what i think and they don't like it and i don't care how i say it so i'm gonna say it that way but whatever, but, you know, Elizabeth, you don't have to have a platform, you know, people, you talk to people, you can express your opinion, you can express your views, you can uh, express godly values to your inner circle. Everybody's got a circle of, of influence. Everybody's got a little circle of influence. And that's all you can control is your own circle of, of influence. And I think God sees that as long as you Absolutely. don't, as long as you don't just sit back and say, well, there's nothing I can do. No, you can tell your friends, your neighbors, whatever. I think this is wrong because it goes against scripture. And, I think and you're I, good. And I personally believe that the topic will come up when God has prepared you for it. 
you know, um, not everybody is called to take up that mantle and, and go and, you know, fight that war. Um, we're, we're not all exactly the same. We're different pieces and parts in the body of Messiah. We have different functions, but certainly if you're given the opportunity to say something, I believe you would. Um, but I think, I think just your, your confession and your prayers before God saying, you know, forgive this nation. I mean, you, you haven't been with us for a whole cycle of feasts, but during, during Rosh Hashanah, the 40 days leading up to uh, Yom Kippur, we pray Daniel 9, verses 9 through 14, or yeah, 4 through 19. Daniel 9, 4 through 19, as a, as a prayer for our nation. And it says, forgive us. Our fathers have sinned. They have done wickedly in the sight of Elohim. They have denied his commandments. They have, you know, and it, and, and it lists a whole bunch of sins that America is guilty of. And we pray that for 40 days every year. All right. And so if that's all we do, then we've done it. But yeah, God will give us the opportunity to speak. Um, I still remember specific times when I back in in when Bill Clinton was running for office, I voiced my opinion about a, abortion because I knew he was an abortion supporter. And I was I knew we were going to go down that dirty road that we got to where in New York they were killing babies outside the womb. And, and so I spoke about it, you know, I still remember several episodes of having spoken about that issue. So yeah, America is guilty and God will hold them accountable. If they don't, if we don't repent as a nation, he will hold this nation accountable. That's why we're suffering like we are right now. You know, all that's why we have the leader that we have. And God has allowed cheaters to, uh, to get our, to, to take control of our government. That's why he's done it is because, you know, Christianity sat by and let the Supreme Court do that and didn't raise a stink about it. Joe. Uh, last thing to say is if we have any fear that we'd be punished with the rest of the nation because it's a corporate punishment, go back and read about Sodom and Gomorrah. Yep. He got lot out. He'll get us out. If he's going to punish the, this country, he doesn't punish the righteous with the wicked. Absolutely. All right. When a ruler sins, verse 22 of chapter four, and does through error any of all the things which Yahweh has commanded him to be done, if his sin where any of sin is known to him, he'll bring for it his offering a goat, male without blemish. He will kill the burnt offering. It is a hatat. So the ruler himself has to bring a hatat if he makes a sin. In other words, he can't just pass it off on the priest to do it. He has to do it himself. All right. And he goes through basically the same iterations as the other hatat offerings. All right. If any one of the common people sins, same wording. If it's known to him, he'll bring his offering a goat, a female, without blemish for his sin, which he has sinned. He shall lay his hand upon the head of the hatat and kill it. Take of the blood thereof. Pour it out on the Mizbeah. Take away the fat, just like the sacrifice of Shalom, of Shalom. The Kohen shall make it smoke upon the altar for a sweet savor. Make atonement for him and it shall be forgiven. If he brings a lamb for the Chatat, 
You'll bring a female. So these are just different variations of the same offering. Um, maybe the king, if you look at this, the ruler, the king, verse 22, a ruler, a nasi, a prince, sins. If a ruler sins, he's got to bring what? A male goat. If a if any of the common people sins, he bring they bring a female goat, a female sheep, or lamb, I should say. Why the difference? Hmm. I'm gonna think agriculturally it's kind of backwards because agriculturally speaking the females of a species is more important because you want more females and fewer males because you can breed so as a ruler to bring that i'm really not sure unless you're talking about your prized bull or your prized sire that is what you're talking about that is what you're talking about because uh, you bring the best to God. And I believe that's what it is, is the, the, the Nasi can afford it. Whereas the common person can't afford to give their, the absolute best. They have to bring something a little, <laughs> a little more uh, amenable to the pocketbook. Mm. All right. There's, there may be a deeper meaning behind it because of male and female. I don't know. I don't think it's that important to us because again, we have Yeshua. All right. But what I wanted you to see is there's several different options here. Okay. Um, this is not uh, thou shalt. This is not God being a meanie. This is God accommodating mankind in their station. And I think this is gonna... God's grace. Exactly. Exactly. Any other and, thoughts? And in here is the first time that the sacrifice is a female animal. For the common person, yes. For the prince, it's a male. For the common person, this is for a sin offering, a chatat. So what happens is if people sin and they know it and, this, and they find out or they realize that they've sinned, then they have to come to God. And God is specifying what they should bring according to their role and their station. A priest has to do a certain thing. A common man has to do a certain thing. A priest has to do a certain thing. Okay, that's God's sovereignty to make that decision. And only he knows exactly why he's doing it. But I think some of it is according to station and what the, what the cost of the offering is. Because we see that a little later. We saw it in another place over in Exodus where a poor person could bring just a turtle dove in the place of a, another offering, which would be more expensive. Right? You guys remember that? Uh -huh. Yes. Okay. Joe, what you got? So I'm trying to, ever since I raised my hands, like something raised up and I'm trying to figure out how to word this. So we have these, Yeshua is our offering. He's our offering for everything. But we have these things that we're commanded to do that we're reading about now, not commanded necessarily, right? They're, 
these are the instructions that we have. So I, I've always heard all my life people say, once you, and, and, and you know this language, Daniel, when you sin, you break one sin, you break them all. Once you sin, you sin, you sin, you sin, you sin. But what we're seeing here is that there are different levels of sin. Absolutely. Some require death, some require a dove, some Absolutely. require a bull. You know, and so uh, when, when people say, oh, once you sin once, you sin, you, you've broken every commandment. You break one, you break them all. It's like a glass. And what we're seeing here, that's not the case. No, no but what, what I think they sh should be thinking and the truth of what I think they're trying to arrive at that they've just miscommunicated, I think, is one fly in the ointment spoils the whole batch. If you commit one sin, you are you are defiled before God. You've you've ruined your righteousness in front of man, so you got to fix it. But not every sin is the same, and even the Brit Kadashah says that. And the Catholics have come along and said they've got a whole litany of different types of sin. And they have different things that you do before the priest to pray the rosary this many times, do yep. this many Hail Marys, do this, do that, do that. They've got, they've got a whole litany of things to do. All that we have to do is come to Yeshua with a contrite heart and say, oops, <laughs> you know, and, and not in a, jo a jocular way, but I've done it again. Forgive me and confess it before Yeshua. And he takes that guilt off of us. I don't need a priest to sit there and omni-domni me to remove my guilt. And so what they're getting is, a, is a, a free pass to go and do it again. What I'm trying to get is the impetus not to do it again and the power not to do it again. And I do think oh. that's a difference. But um, There are degrees of sin, absolutely, and there will be degrees of punishment. Yeshua made that clear. That when, when certain people go into Sheol, their punishment will be very severe. He told, he told the land of Canaan, or I'm sorry, the land of Galilee, uh, Capernaum, I believe it was the city of Capernaum, that he said, it's going to be better off for Sodom and Gomorrah than you on Judgment Day. So, yeah, there are levels of sin and levels of punishment as well. So there are levels of offerings to uh, undo them in Israel. All right. But, but obviously we have one offering that deals with all those different levels of sin. And that's Yeshua. And that's what makes Yeshua so magnanimous to me. So praiseworthy is it, you know, you think about it. I, I've often thought about it, and I've, I've tried to express it to you guys. What must it have been like in his soul when he suffered? Because he was outside of time. If he went to Sheol, he wasn't confined by time. And he suffered all of the punishment for all of us. And all of us deserve different levels of those punishments. But he took them all on himself in his own soul. That's what makes it so, that's why I'm easy, that's why I easily forgive people. Um, because that blows my mind. It still blows my mind every day. Well, it, it, was, it was really hard for him 
he, 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 he gives us a glance because the moment that he is, he was crazy about the father. He's talking about the father constantly. Every time he, he opens the mouth, his mouth is talking about the father. And then he's at the, in the cross. At the cross, he's like, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. He felt that separation and he, and he crushed him. And then he had to be in, absent from his father and present with our sin. And, and, and like I said, we don't understand the science behind that. The fact that he was outside of time, to us, it was to, to earth, it was three days that he spent gone. But what went on in his realm, in whatever realm he was in, wasn't confined by that 72-hour period. Do you get what I'm driving at? We have no idea what he went through. We cannot comprehend what he did. We cannot comprehend it. And I, I've tried to make people appreciate it. I've preached this many times and trying to get people to think about the depth of what he did for us. And I want to appreciate it more. I tell him that all the time. I want to appreciate what he did for me more and more and more. Mm -hmm. because, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be an idiot on this earth and mess up over and over again and, you know, and, and offend him and fail him in regard to presenting his righteousness to this world. I want to be righteous. I want to be full of his ruach. I want to be like him. And yet at the same time, I'm scared to death. I don't want to suffer like that. <laughs> you know, I don't want to suffer. You know, I'd hate to, you know, endure what he endured just physically. Much less what he suffered in his soul. That's it. Or what he suffered in, in the fact that, that people who he grew up with his brother James, let's say, for example, we talked about earlier, want to drive his ass off a cliff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's incomprehensible what he did for us. And and to me, all of these sacrifices make us, at least for me, it gives me pause and makes me think about what he did. Because he had to, you know, all the many times that that we deserved or needed to bring a hatat to, to the temple. Yeshua fulfilled every last event. Does that come out right? Do you understand that? Yes. And then that, not just for me, the individual, but for everybody on this call and for every human being that ever lived. That's just, that's incomprehensible to me. It is. And also all of these different sorts of sacrifices and things that you've been, you've been talking about and how they're, there's all, you know, so much unique, uh, depending on who you are and what you did and what the offering is and, and so on and so forth. The bottom line is, and I think this is where maybe people that don't understand all of this, but the fact is that we're all dead apart from it. Dead is dead. How dead we are, what it looks like, you know, all of those things aside, the fact is, is that we were all dead. We had no hope, nothing, yes. dead forever for eternity and that conclusiveness that all encompassing might be seen in like a prism a multitudinous light and whatnot but the ultimate is he gave us life through all of through all of it life is the thing eternal life exactly all right can i add something also daniel sure and i think that when we please him when we please our father, uh, we are not scared 
That's right. Yeah, we are not scared because we are pleasing him and we have peace. And uh, we are not even scared to, to, to die. Absolutely. I, you know, I told my students that either yesterday or today. I can't remember. One of them asked me, are you afraid to die? I said, no, not at all. I said, I'd prefer not to die a horrible death. But I'm not afraid of death. I know exactly what's going to happen, you know. So, and, and my mom was the picture of that. And Melanie's mom was the picture of that. They knew Messiah. They were on their deathbed and they weren't scared, you know, ready to go, ready to meet him, you know. Um, I don't want to die the way they did because they suffered, you know. I don't want to go through that. Uh, but um, the suffering of Yeshua is unappreciated by most people, in my opinion. It's unappreciated. Not only the, the fleshly suffering that he did when he was beaten and hung on the tree and rejected by the people that loved him, uh, but the suffering that he endured during that interim period in Sheol for everyone, for forever and ever, that's incomprehensible. And some people think that I'm an idiot for thinking that that's what he did, but I know it. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't understand it, can't explain the physics of it, don't get it, but I know it's huge. And I think these, these, these sacrifices that we're reading about sort of help point that out because the temple was busy. <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> as busy as the temple was just for Israel, Yeshua was that busy for all our souls in Sheol. Whoa, that's a concept. All right, moving on, chapter five. If anyone sins, in that he hears the voice of adjuration, he being a witness, whether he has seen or known, if he does not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast, unclean cattle, unclean swarming things, and is guilty, it being hidden from his from him that he is unclean, or if he touches the uncleanness of man, whatever his uncleanness is, wherewith he is unclean or is hidden from him, and he knows of it, he's guilty. Or if anyone swears clearly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man shall utter clearly an oath and it is hidden from him when he knows of it, is guilty in one of these things, it shall be when he shall be guilty in one of these things that he shall confess that that wherein he has sinned and he shall bring his forfeit that's a sacrifice, all right, unto Yahweh for his sin, which he has sinned, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a chatat, and the Kohen shall make atonement for him as concerning his sin, and if his means suffice not for a lamb, then he shall bring his forfeit, that which he has sinned to turtle doves, there it is, bringing the price down for someone who can't afford it. Two young pigeons unto Yahweh, one for a chatat and the other for a burnt offering in Allah. Bring them unto the Cohen, offer them for the chatat first, pinch off his head, that's if it's a bird, uh, close, close by his neck, but shall not divide it asunder, sprinkle the blood of the chatat upon the side of Mizbeach, the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be drained at the base, it is a sin offering, a chatat. Prepare the second for a burnt offering, according to the ordinance, the Cohen shall make atonement for him as concerning his sin which he has sinned, and he shall be forgiven. 
So their forgiveness, what did that mean? We kind of touched on this already. What did that mean? I'm not sure, but did it mean he was be able to go into the sanctuary? It's exactly what it meant. Okay. Um, to forgive is sort of like overlooking it, you know, but the point is it did not relieve him of the guilt. All right. And I, I just want to dwell on that for a moment because I personally think a lot of Messianic people forget this. They're saved by Yeshua. They come to him. They've rejoiced in that for long periods of time in their life. They discover the Torah. And then in my mind, they must have forgotten what it was like to have their sin lifted off of them. Because all this did was get the, get the supplicant back into the house. It gave him free reign to come back into the house. But it did not, just like we read it out of Hebrews, we quoted it a while ago. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to remove their guilt. Our guilt is removed off of us. We have the capacity to come before God himself in his throne room right now while we're on earth by confessing Yeshua. And I think people lose the reality of that. That's something that some Christians, not all, have a good understanding of is that they can come to God and ask for forgiveness. And they have that and it's real. And we're not better than them. Okay. Uh, they don't walk the same walk that we do. But their sin is dealt with the same way ours is. They may be not, they may not be aware of some of the things that they're doing wrong, and it, it's between them and Yeshua. But if they if they tell me that they their sins have been forgiven, and I see the fruit of that, I'm gonna believe it. Now there are some people who don't have any fruit. They walk around saying their sins are forgiven, and then they talk like the devil, walk like the devil, act like the devil. I don't believe them. <laughs> Right. But if they're living righteously. Then I have to believe them. If anyone sins and does any of the things which Yahweh has commanded not to be done, though he knows it not, yet is guilty, he shall bear his iniquity. He'll bring a ram without blemish out of the flock according to your evaluation for an asham. This is what Ray was talking about a while ago, a guilt offering. Unto the Kohen, and the Kohen shall make atonement for him concerning the error which he committed, though he knew it not, and he shall be forgiven. It is an asham. Asham means guilt. He is certainly guilty before the Yahweh. So why might someone bring a guilt offering if they didn't know they sinned? <laughs> because we sin all the time and don't know it because it is an unconscious sin yeah but it, yes but why would they bring it 
because they feel guilty about something, Melanie says. We're going to go to 53, Isaiah 53. Who would have believed our report? And to whom has Zeroah, Yahweh, been revealed? What is Zeroah? Arm. Arm. And those of us who know the Passover Seder, that's very significant. That is Yeshua. Those of you who know Messiah for any length of time, you understand that the arm of Yahweh, the Zeruah of Yahweh is Yeshua. To whom has he been revealed? And that's what this whole passage in Isaiah is about. He shot up right forth as a sapling. And as a root out of a dry ground, Shorish Me'eretziah. In Revelation, Yeshua calls himself Shoresh David, the root of David. Right? He had no, we say this every week, he had no form nor comeliness that we should look upon him, no beauty that we should delight in him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sorrows, and is one for whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Truly, our sickness he did bear and our pains he carried. Whereas we did esteem him stricken, smitten of Elohim and afflicted, but he was wounded because of our transgressions. He was broken because of our iniquities. We've read about iniquity so far, right? The chastisement of our shalom was upon him. We've read about peace offerings, right? And with his stripes, we were healed. All we like sheep did go astray. We turned everyone to his own way. And Yahweh has made to light on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, though he humbled himself and opened not his mouth. As a lamb is led to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. Yes, he opened not his mouth. By oppression, judgment, and judgment, he was taken away. And with his generation, who did reason? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Made his grave with the wicked and with the rich his tomb, although he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased Yahweh to break him in weakness. So here's what Ray was talking about. So you would make his soul as a guilt offering. Do you see that? That's an asham. Right there. Do you see it? Yes. Asim Asham Nafsho. You make his soul. Here's the difference, Joe. His body is the Khatat. His soul is the Asham. Thoughts? Say that again. Tasim Asham Nafsho. You would make his soul as a guilt offering. His body is the Khatat, the sin offering, takes away our sin. 
His soul is the guilt offering. I've been talking all night about his soul going into Sheol. That's in Acts yeah. chapter two, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. So this is kind of lending credence to what Ray said a while ago, that he's more than just our chatat. He's also our asham. And really, that's what all of these offerings are rooted in, <laughs> right? Yes. Okay. That he might see his seed, prolong his days, and the desire of Yahweh might prosper by his hand. Of the travail of his soul, he shall see to the full. Even my servant, by his knowledge, my servant, a tzaddik, shall justify many. And their iniquities will he bear. All right, so that describes the, the sin-bearing ministry of Yeshua. That Israel, our, our people Israel today cannot understand because the rabbis have lied to them and they don't read this passage to them. And they lie to them and tell them that this is talking about Israel. Well, I'm sorry, Israel does not bear the sins. Israel hasn't gone to hell. Israel hasn't, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We have the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh and, and uh, you know, the hindsight of this to know that this is Yeshua, right? But he has become our sin offering, our guilt offering, every offering. Also, Daniel, in what you just read, it said, um, let's see, uh, in verse 8, um, the part, second part, and with its generation who did reason, and then at um, uh, the second part of verse 10, that he might see his seed prolong his day. So, and, and Yeshua said, see the children Abba has given to me. Yep. It, it's just, you know. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> so when he says, when he makes this asham, he's foreshadowing what Yeshua is going to do. Yeshua died for the sins that we confess. We confess those over his body, right? But he died for the sins that we don't know. And that's what the guilt offering was for, right? <clears throat> that's kind of the point that I've been making all night is that this is bigger than we ever imagined. What Yeshua did for us is bigger than we ever imagined. We just read about trespass. Here's a trespass offering. He's dispossessed his neighbor. He deals falsely with his neighbor in a matter of deposit, of pledge, or of robbery, oppressed his neighbor. So trespass means offending another human being. Right. And most people don't think about that very much. But those are things that Yeshua had to die for as well. Most people only think their sin is directed between them and God. But there's these horizontal sins. And what did Yeshua say about that? That every believer knows but doesn't know. Every believer knows it, but doesn't know it. Whatsoever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you've done unto me. Well, not every believer knows that verse. Okay. Is it uh, if you don't forgive them, 
or make amends with them, how can the Father forgive you? Not every believer knows that verse. If I'm in a public place and I started saying the verses that I'm thinking about, every believer would pipe up immediately and, and say them with me. But judge not, lest you be judged. The Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. <laughs> we call it the Disciples' Prayer. Bingo. Well, he was quoting part of the Lord's Prayer, Daniel. No. No? No, he wasn't. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's not what he said. Oh, okay. That's what I, <laughs> I just translated it in my head wrong. I think so. <laughs> All right. I'll get back there eventually. So we're going to go look at that, Matthew 6. We're talking about trespasses against each other, right? When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who like to pray standing in the bait Knessets, in the synagogues, and in the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. This does not negate all corporate prayer. There are people who just want to be seen and heard in the synagogue and in the street, being righteous, all right? And that, God hates that kind of stuff. He hates it. I can't do it. I'm not one to just go, you know, show off praying. I don't like that. My dad instilled that in me, and I'm kind of glad he did because, you know, I've studied this a lot over the last 40 years. Truly, I say to you that you have already received your reward, but when you pray, enter into your inner chamber, lock your door, and pray to Abichem, your father, y'all's father, who is in secret, and Abichem, y'all's father, who is in secret, he himself will reward you openly. Do not repeat your words like the pagans, for they think that because of much talking they'll be heard. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Therefore, pray in this manner. Avinu Shabashamayim, may your name be made Kadosh. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us the bread we need today. Forgive us our offenses. That's the same as it's translated in King James as trespasses, isn't it? That's what you're going to hear most commonly. When I say the disciples' prayer in public, I have to switch to King James because that's how most people know it. Right? Mm -hmm. As we have forgiven our offenders. This is what Yeshua is talking about when he says, you bring in an offering before God, but you have aught with your brother. There is an offense. There is a trespass between you and your brother, and you're going to come to my altar. Put it down. Don't come to me. Put it down and go reconcile with your brother first. This is the hard part of the Torah, guys. This is what Yeshua was talking about when he said justice, compassion, and faithfulness. It's the hard part of the Torah. The, the hardest thing for humans to do, I believe, is to be reconciled one to another over all offenses. That's the hardest thing to do. And in my view, most people don't practice this. You know? They don't. And this is what that trespass offering is dealing with, is all of those things that people do to one another. And it required the shedding of blood. 
what did Paul quote from the book of Vayikra? We're going to get there. We're not there yet. About the shedding of blood. What did he without, say? Without shedding of blood, there's not... Um, there's, there's no forgiveness of sin? There's no forgiveness. Yeah. There's no forgiveness. So for Israel, they couldn't be forgiven. Even though they were trusting in Yah as their salvation, they couldn't be forgiven unless they brought offerings. And then they could because they were looking forward to the tree of Messiah and they didn't have it to put their hope in yet. They had to put it hope. They had to put their hope in that through the sacrificial system. We don't have that. Our sacrifice is Messiah, but we still have these offenses that we must deal with. And Yeshua taught at length about those, right? And we have to recognize that it's his, his offering, the offering of his body and his soul that is supposed to be able to make us reconcile with one another. And that's a hard thing to do. Because most of the time, both parties, either one or the other, don't want it or neither one of them do. <laughs> Genu genuinely want reconciliation in, in humility before God. That's a hard place to get to. Here's a trespass against through the, against the holy things. What's that? Euler? Could it be maybe not uh, properly observing uh, the festivals, doing the things that he had required in the worship of himself? Absolutely. If you debased an offering, if you brought an offering that wasn't up to par, if you, yeah, all of those things, all of the things that we're talking about that bring you, that, that are for sanctification, and you messed up in it, <laughs> and there's an offering for that. <laughs> all right and this one is a ram seems a little harder to get doesn't it mm -hmm. for an asham Make restitution for that which he has done amiss in, in the holy thing, and it add a fifth part thereto and give it to the Kohen. He'll make an atonement. So you had to value the ram with money and then add a fifth of that value to that sacrifice. That's how important the holy things are. That's why I try to encourage us to be more reverent in what we do in the sanctuary. Right?
So if anyone sins about a thing he does not know, he'll bring in a sham. It's basically all the same language. He is certainly guilty before Yahweh. Any questions about any of this chapter? A lot of it is repetitious, and I don't want to dwell on it too much. What I want you to see is, again, all of the variation, all of the accommodation of God for the different people that will be bringing them, um, and mostly to know what the types of them are. So far tonight, we've done the chatat and the asham, right, and the trespass, right? The asham offering. Questions, comments? I, I wonder how did the people who made these sacrifices, I wonder how the actual worship of the temple, I wonder how that affected them. I know that sometimes you, you go to worship, you, 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 you do business with Yeshua in prayer where you're coming to him and you you know that you have done wrong and you seek him and um i know how i wonder did they have did they um i wonder how it was to participate in these rituals and in this this these observances before abba um with a faithful heart i think it must have been pretty awe striking um i'm trying to get to um there's a search bar can i can i say something uh yeah uh when david killed uriah the husband of uh what's her name the mother Bathsheba. of Bathsheba. Bathsheba. yeah that Nathan goes to him and then he says, he goes to talk to the Lord and he, he says, oh, against you and you alone have I seen. So yeah. his heart was contrite at that moment. So I guess it was the same for everyone. When the, the mother of Eli also was crying in the temple for it because she wanted a baby, she was crying before the Lord. And she was saying things that to not the mother of Sal of Samuel, I'm sorry, he was Eli was the, the high priest and yeah. Eli was thinking she was drunk. So she was I mean it, it wasn't different from what happened to us today for me I think because when you're truly repentant you know it in your heart. Yeah absolutely um was there a question there, or were you just? No, it's a comment because that, she said, "I wonder how what was, how it was to do it." I mean, then the rest of the ones who do that, I guess, in secret, then you do whatever you need to do at the temple to show right. that you. Uh, and I want to add. I want to just say, uh, we are not so much doing. Uh, I said we do business with Yeshua, but the fact is, is he's doing business with us. He's coming to us. He's convicting of us of our sin. He's drawing us into that repentance. It's a, it's a better way to put it. Yeah. I wanted to show you this video because 
you're talking about the experience in the temple, right? What must that have been like? Betsy? Yes. Well, uh, this discussion has just opened up my eyes to it. I'm, I'm a bit in awe of it all. It's just so much there that I've never seen or thought. Yeah. Well, uh, so or this, is, this guy, this is the artist that painted my desktop, not actually my desktop, but it's the picture that is on my desktop, my computer desktop. And look what he's, look what he's, how he's imagined it. And I've, there's another, I'll look for it here in a second. You see how similar it is to the one that he's already, the one that's on my desktop? But look at the light coming out of the temple. The, do you think one menorah is doing that? Yeah. So there it is. Can you imagine that? So this guy is is imagining the the Ola ascending, but at the same time, the glory of God coming off that temple. And so I think he's being very hopeful here, but I think, and we all, I believe, I certainly have felt God's presence in a very tangible way before during worship. Anybody else? Oh, yes. So I do believe that they would know his presence because of them going through the sacrificial system, that the experience must have been very overwhelming awe-inspiring. It's described that way for Sukkot in the Mishnah. Um, and I think that this is, he's making visible what is probably only experienced in the invisible. You know what I mean? And so I think it must have been awe-striking. The experience in the temple must, for the, for the person of, of actual worship, obviously God tells us and I think the, the the majority of the nation of Israel got to the point where it was just wrote, oh, we got to go to the house today. We got to go to the temple today. We got to just, let's go do our duty before God here. I've got this, look at this beautiful thing that I brought. And it was junk, you know, but I do believe at the beginning of the first temple, the beginning of the second temple, they were awe stricken by the presence of God when they did it right. And I, that's what I'm, this picture kind of captures what I've been praying for spiritually for our little congregation. You know, this is, this is where we read the Torah. I don't know if y'all see my cursor moving back and forth. Mm -hmm. This is where we read the Torah. You know, um, this is, this area here is our sanctuary. It's where we sit, right? And the source of all of it is coming out of our ark, <laughs> the word of God, the Torah. That's why the Torah ceremony means so much to me. And it's Yeshua coming out. One day Yeshua will come out and minister to Israel physically. You know, I mean, maybe I think too much in pictures, but this, I love this artist and he's not messianic as far as I know. He just loves Israel and loves the temple and, is a phenomenal artist. One of the best I've seen in modern times. I hate most other art, <laughs> but, but this is beautiful to me. And I think it, I, it captures what I think the experience must've been like. It, it makes me, the, the conversation of just the last few minutes makes me think of when uh, Paul said something along the lines, um, 
if the blindness of Israel has been um, this for the world, think of what it will be when they have come into Messiah. Exactly. Uh, and and the, the conversation of this night makes me think about that and I think on maybe perhaps that's some of what this. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't know if that was useful, but I, that's, I thought that's what you were driving at with your question is what must it have been like? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let me get back to where we were. We'll go on. We've only got 10 minutes left. 12 minutes left. And we're in chapter six. Hmm. And we get to an Ola. This gets a little more detailed. I think we'll wait before we dive into this. So next week we'll pick up at chapter six. Is that good? Okay. Any thoughts or questions about tonight before we wrap up and stop the recording? Anybody get anything out of it? Oh, yeah. yeah, I got a lot. Thanks. Uh, thanks. Thanks again. I, uh, I think earlier when I was trying to, um, I was thinking of that section of where forgiving offenses first, I just didn't know how to put it into the words that I had it there, but I was kind of, I think yeah, I was you quoted another, I thought you might've been headed in that direction. There was another thing that Yeshua said that you quoted that was kind of similar. Yeah. But something came up earlier tonight and, uh, I never thought of it in this way because you know how people mentioned um so we'll say oh he fulfilled the law yeah but then i mean if you go back and you can bring up like well he immersed and he fulfilled that he says that he fulfilled that and he still kept commandments afterwards and he, everyone still wants to get baptized right so like why, why won't you stop that so it's like oh uh, yeah obviously being fulfilled doesn't mean that it's like you know yeah, well, here's the, th here's the thing. Christianity is not aware that immersion, baptism, is a Torah command. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's uh, pretty, uh, I'm glad that came up. And I, I think I yeah. just kind of lost track of that and didn't really make the connections. Yeah, and, and for your sake, uh, you weren't here, I think, when we covered it, Daniel. But um, if you look at our translation in Matthew 5, um, um, we just covered this not too long ago. I think in maybe it was in Taurus, maybe it was on a Shabbat, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was. But we might have also covered it in here. But Matthew 5 17 Do not expect that I have come to nullify the Torah or the Nevi'im, the prophets. I have come not come to nullify, but to confirm it. And so that word is malay, le malay is the infinitive of it. Malay is the, the word to confirm. And so le malay, it does, it can be translated as fulfill. And it does mean to fill up. But context in Hebrew also helps define the word. And so... The context here is exactly what you just said. He's confirming it by doing 
the Torah. He's confirming the righteousness of the Torah. Are you with me? Oh, definitely. Actually, I did watch, uh, you had a previous um, uh, groupings of like uh, lessons that uh, Shaul goes over, like let's put away the elementary. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You watch that? Yeah. And I think uh, it came up in there where like brought up Nathan, Natan, right? And then he tells. Good, uh, good. I just wasn't aware you caught that. Oh, no, no. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good point. And I'm glad I saw that too. Thank you. All right. Anything else? Don't everybody jump at once. <laughs> All right. Avinu Malkeinu, in the name of your son, Yahweh, Yeshua Mashiach, we do give thanks for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study it. Uh, we ask you to correct our error. And uh, we ask you to lead us into all righteousness and teach us. And we thank you for what your son Yeshua did for us. And I ask, we all ask that you help all of us and, and anyone that we can address to understand the depth of what he did for us even more. And we thank you for it. And we ask you to be with us until Shabbat. B'Shem Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Amen. Thank you. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to listen to this week's Torah study class. In the description, you'll find all the links to our website and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayat ministry. Till the next time, we pray God blesses you with shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.